Most people know that comfort zones are some of the worst traps, but how exactly do you get out of that trap, face fear head on, and find new opportunities? Find out that answer and more in this episode of Forward Thinking. Hey everyone, I'm Darren Lake, the audio content manager here at Medigy. Welcome to Forward Thinking, a podcast by Medigy. In this series, we speak with inspirational business owners, brands, and marketing experts to learn from their experiences on the front line and uncover what it takes to build a world-class business. In this episode, Brendan Hill talks with a special guest that has something a bit different to offer our SME marketers and businesses. Our guest is pro surfing legend, Mark Matthews. Mark has made a living achieving the unfathomable, crossing the intersection of danger and excitement. He knows all too well the crippling grasp of fear. While in Tasmania, 15 feet in front of a cliff in cold, shark-infested waters, Mark hit a reef and instantly blacked out. Terror engulfed every inch of his being. Neck braced and hospital-ridden, he didn't know if he could ever surf again. At that moment, Mark made a decision never to allow fear to overpower him again. With his presentation business, Life Beyond Fear, has him deconstructing, fine-tuning, and personalizing emotional resilience techniques to successfully strengthen one's mindsets and sustain long-term performance. These techniques have helped him win an unprecedented three consecutive Oakley Big Wave Awards and cement him as one of the best big wave surfers in the world. Let's get into the conversation with Brendan Hill and Mark Matthews. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brendan. You have an amazing LinkedIn profile. That's where I first found out about you. Can you tell us more about big wave surfing? Oh, big wave surfing. I mean, that's my life. It's been my life for the last 15 years. It was my avenue to build a career out of the sport of surfing, mm. even though I wasn't quite good enough or talented enough to be a competitive or a world champion level surfer. So right. It was just this different avenue that I found mm. that I could uh, manufacture myself a career out of the sport that I loved. When did you come to the realization that you could follow your passion and make that your career? Uh, it happened when I was about 20. So I was right. working actually here in, uh, in Sydney down at Darling Harbour making coffees and, yeah. uh, and uh, cocktails at night. Out of the blue, I got asked to go on a surf trip down to Tasmania to surf a new wave that had been getting talked about in the industry. It was kind of being heralded as one of the biggest and scariest waves that anyone had ever seen. Wow. And no one had really photographed it at that point in time. And no part of me wanted to go and surf it because <laughs> I'd never really surfed big waves and I was wow. absolutely terrified when I got the call. And it was funny because I was kind of like, I, I couldn't figure out why they were calling me because I was kind of a no one in the in the industry of surfing. Right. I found out down the track they probably called about 30 or 40 other surfers <laughs> before they got to my name at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Everyone sort of politely declined because the wave sounded so scary. But wow. I kind of – I didn't have the chance of saying no. If I had said no, I would never have got my career off the ground because at mm. that point I didn't have the major sponsorships. And right. Anyway, I went down to Tasmania. One thing led to another and I ended up surfing waves bigger than I'd ever surfed before in my life. And wow. the photos and, and footage of that trip went around the world and I got my first surfing sponsorships. And then wow. it's, um, that basically gave me the blueprint of, of mm. what I needed to do to make a career. It was travel around the world, chase down the biggest swells I could find, wow. surf them, create content, let that mm. content go in the media and based on the media value, I get the sponsorship dollars. Wow. So how big are these waves that we're talking about? Down in Tasmania that first time was in the sort of 15 to 20 foot range. Wow. 
but the way the waves break down there is what makes them so spectacular and dangerous. So super deep water waves breaking on a really shallow rock ledge, mm. which sort of magnifies the power and, and the spectacular nature, nature of the wave. So mm. to me, way more dangerous than, say, if I go out and surf, waves in excess of 50 feet but break in deep water. Wow. While they look and are a whole lot bigger, it's nowhere near as, as sort of dangerous or, or spectacular. Mm. So. so in terms of taking that first step, so I know that one of your mantras is life beyond fear, the other side of fear. So taking that first step, I mean, a good example, I just finished watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade on Netflix and when he's walking over that invisible gap to get the Holy Grail. Another it's that, one. Yeah, it's that first step. And I can imagine, you know, there's massive waves passing by and it's, uh, you know, 15, 20 feet, I mean, up to 50 feet, as you say. Can you tell us more about that first step and how to overcome fear? Because, I mean, it has parallels in business as well. That first step is always the hardest. Oh, 100%. And that's the interesting thing because as scary as big wave surfing is mm. and, and the thought or the reality of maybe drowning, mm. for me, I find I find public speaking and keynoting that I do now more stressful. Really? I get more anxiety from it. It wears wow. me down more than big wave surfing ever did. Wow. So that, I mean, that's where the correlation is between mm. what, I, what action sports people do and what business people do because fear is fear. It doesn't mm. matter whether it's a, a fear of sort of physical danger or harm or a fear of a failure or not being good enough or making mistakes or mm. like they sort of – the way your body reacts is exactly the same. So yeah. so across the board, I think that's where the relationship is. And then like you said, I mean that the Indiana Jones <laughs> reference is perfect. It's <laughs> like the, the, the steps across the in, invisible bridge to the mm. holy grail it's kind of in my head it's like so terrifying to get out of your comfort zone mm. to get the experience you need to create that new comfort zone where the opportunities are whether in business or, or in the sport of surfing but but when you do that and you push yourself through that fear and anxiety usually mm. the experience or the feeling or the result or the success on the other side kind of feels like that holy grail like mm. that like you get that intrinsic reward and the external rewards that that make it feel like a holy mm. grail like life's <laughs> worth living when you push yourself like that no, it's interesting that you say that you get more anxiety now about public speaking the big wave serving sort of validating what jerry seinfeld always says public speaking is the number one human fear followed by death at number two <laughs> And I mean, big wave surfing, I can imagine, wouldn't be far behind uh, these monster swells. Yeah, I think Jerry is definitely right. For introverts anyway, I'm highly introverted, so right. public speaking is the, the scariest thing so, ever so, for me. So what made you jump into public speaking after your career in big wave surfing? I had a, a sponsor who sponsored me from when I was in my early 20s. His best friend was in the world of corporate training and had right. a background climbing mountains and brought that to the business world. And then mm. he had said to me years ago when in my early 20s that this is the career path that you should look to take while you're still big wave surfing so that you can build it then and then be able to carry it on, you know, down the track when I'm 50, when I can't surf big waves before anymore, 60 mm. maybe. I'm, I'm pushing for 60. So. <laughs> so, yeah, and at the time I was like, there's no way I'm ever doing that because for me, I couldn't even stand in front of a, a classroom when I was a kid and wow. re read from a book. I would stutter mm. so bad I'd have so much anxiety. So mm. it took 
a lot to for me to be able to do it. Spent untold amounts of money doing every speaking course under the sun. So, wow. But eventually it just – it was exactly like learning to surf big waves. The exposure right. and the experience, you just builds up and then you, you build that new skill set so that mm. it doesn't matter who you stand in front of, who I'm standing in front of now. I, I've got the tools and the skills to, to sort of dig into my bag and, and perform on stage and mm. don't have to feel too anxious about it now. But – Originally, it was it wow. was tough. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember your first big keynote speech? I did. It was in uh, Hawaii, and right. it was for an insurance company. And I I got offered the talk two weeks before the event, and right. I didn't have a keynote at all. Wow. So I wrote the keynote in the two weeks before. Yep. The only person I said it in front of was my mum. Wow. <laughs> and I uh, I did the keynote in front of her and she actually features in the keynote because oh, she's nice. one of my big motivators in life to be mm. successful. And she had a tear in her eye when I told her and, <laughs> and that was kind of enough. I was like, okay, yeah. we'll see how it goes. And if I look back now on the on the delivery of, of the keynote that I gave, the delivery was very average. Right. But, but the the bed of the keynote has almost stayed exactly the same as wow. what I deliver today. And the feedback that I got from the audience was was amazing off that first keynote. And right. I had the bosses say, I mean, this is what you've got to do in life. Wow. Is that, and, and they just enjoyed, I think, the fact that I was so raw and real mm. on stage because I had no other choice but to be that way, mm. you know, and it wasn't really too polished. And and I've always taken that as I've gone on in keynote speaking, never to become that sort mm. of over-polished okay. sp- speaker that, that's sort of talking to, mm. to a track, you know, because mm. I think for the audience you, you have to remember that they're seeing you for the first time. They mm. want it to be real. They want to, even though I'm telling the same thing that I've told, you know, a thousand times, it needs to feel real in that moment and the connection has to be real with the audience for them mm. to even remotely take in what you're going to say. So interesting point that you touch on there, authenticity. So I guess that's part of your brand, being really authentic and not being too polished. When we go on social, our social media feeds, you know, like on Instagram, everyone's looking very polished. How can businesses become more authentic and tell their real story and start to, like yourself, really resonate with the audience? Ah, oh, man, I think it, it takes courage to do mm. that. And it's tricky for, for businesses. Like, I mean, when you have all these insurance factors and regulators mm. and yeah. all this stuff hanging over the top of you and then investors, depending on what size business mm. you're running, to, to really let people know authentically what's happening within the business where you're planning to go and all that it, yeah. it takes courage but I, I i find that if you looked into some case studies on it 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 is worthwhile to do mm. and especially small businesses and small business owners needing the motivation to do what they're going to have to do to be succe- successful in small business which is you know such a small amount of people pull that off the authenticity level has to be there where you have to really love what you're doing and believe mm. in it mm. and and it has to be there has to be deep meaning in what you're doing for you to right. to go that extra sort of level or to the extent that you need to to be successful so the sort sort of authenticity on both both aspects is how you run your business internally but then how mm. you speak to your customers i think both of them take some courage but worthwhile mm. and in terms of speaking to customers you touched on presentation skills 
obviously very important in everyday business. I mean, they're people are presenting on the phone, presenting in their content marketing, for example. What sort of tips can you give you know, early stage businesses listening at home? I mean, obviously, you had to learn from the ground up with your presentation skills for your keynotes. You did a lot of courses. People just starting out or wanting to improve their presentation skills, where do they start? I think the best the best tip like that I got in as far as tone of when you talk to someone mm. is that talk to your audience like you're talking to one person right. like you're talking to a friend mm. and and carry that tone and you've got to re, you've got to practice it and then watch yourself on video and see if you're carrying that tone because mm. it's really hard to do initially because when the camera's in front of you or the audience is in front of you 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 naturally sort of the anxiety shifts you into a different tone of yeah. the way you're speaking to people but I think if you go back and watch what you look like and then try and match it to how you would just speak to a close friend mm. because you speak to your closest friends with the most authenticity, you know, True, and then yeah. if you can keep that tone, I think that helps a lot. And then by far the most important thing is to be is to be prepared, like mm. unbelievably prepared. <laughs> no, nothing, yeah. nothing beats the fear of public speaking like preparation. Mm. Like you've got to have. For me, it's the same as surfing. So when I go and surf big waves, I'm ready for every worst case scenario that could possibly happen. I have a really detailed plan put in place. Right. For example, if I blacked out underwater and I had to be resuscitated, they had to restart my heart, and then they had wow. to call for a helicopter. We have that whole plan in in place. Mm. So it takes some of that fear and that apprehension that you get in your mind in the lead up to scary moments away mm. because I'm prepared for it. So the same way if I'm going to do a keynote this afternoon for WordPress actually here in, in Sydney, I, I've everything that could go wrong, I know exactly what to do. Like the, mm. the whole power can shut off <laughs> wow. and I can do my I have to do my presentation without any photos or footage or wow. anything like that, but I'm ready to do that. Amazing. Or or if my mind goes blank, which it does in front mm. of an audience if something happens, I've kind of I've got a line mm. and a story where I can go straight into at any point in my presentation. Yeah, that's a good and, idea. Yeah. yeah, and then give myself the time to get back around to what I mm. went on back on track. So it's kind of Overly prepared is the key yeah. to, to dealing with that kind of fear. And speaking of scary moments, what was the scariest moments in your big wave surfing career? By far the recent one where I, I dislocated my knee down surfing down the south coast of Sydney. I hit the reef right. on, on about a 10-foot wave mm. and completely dislocated my knee, tore every ligament <laughs> wow. and tendon, tore the major artery that runs <laughs> through my leg, major nerves. The pain that I experienced when I, I did that, I knew that something really bad had happened. And then to wake up the following morning in hospital after emergency surgery, and I was basically told that I was going to have a, a disability where I can't move my foot. I can't lift wow. my foot anymore for the rest of my life. So it's kind of the doctors telling me that mm. your, your surfing career is over. So that by far was the scariest. Uh, hearing that news was the scariest mm. sort of thing that I've been through within surfing. But Managed to prove them wrong and I'm getting my surfing career back on track. It's oh, taken wow. me about two and a half years, but uh, wow. it's getting there. Yeah. So can you talk us through that mindset from being t being told you'll never surf again to rebuilding your careers? I'd admit the first sort of six weeks to two months when I was stuck in hospital in the big metal frame brace with my big wounds from the surgery on my leg and wow. couldn't get out of bed at all in the worst pain I've felt, nerve pain by far. I've had almost every other injury you can do, broken <laughs> bones and stuff, but yeah. nothing compares to nerve pain. And, yeah, in that sort of two months, I got 
really depressed. Like mm. not not on the level of depression, like that's a footnote. No, not on a level of depression, like suicidal depression. That's something mm. completely different. But depressed in that I just didn't want to see anyone. I'd kind of given up hope of, of surfing again. I wasn't sleeping because of the pain. Or they were giving me ridiculous amounts of medication to try and combat the pain. So it was that. Like all mm. these things just led to me being so unbelievably unhealthy physically and mentally. It was interesting because it wasn't until – I'd like to say I just snapped myself out of it, but I didn't. It wasn't until I actually met a young guy in hospital who um, reached out to me on social media and wow. he said, I've been following your career since I was young, big fan. I'd love to come up and, and meet you and get a photo because he read that I was in Canberra Hospital right. and he was actually in there and, he, and I didn't want to – see anyone so i didn't mm. even reply but it was my <laughs> wife who saw the message and wrote back to him and said yeah no worries come up and get a photo <laughs> so this kid comes up probably like three hours after i had seen the message he gets wheeled into my bedroom by his brother he's complete quadriplegic had broken his neck about six months before i hurt myself and and the moment that i shook Jason, his name was Hand, mm. and I don't know if you, if you shook someone's hand who's a quadriplegic, like it, it's confronting. They can't yeah. control their arm, anything. Mm. And he stuck out his arm with big grin on his face. And the moment that I shook his hand, it was the craziest shift that I've ever had experienced in my life, where where my perspective or mindset about what I was dealing with wow. did a complete one eighty. So I went from being like really angry like sort of full of self-pity for what had happened mm. to me, blaming other people, like like the victim of this this wipeout and this injury and just like done with it to just feeling like the luckiest person on earth because if I'd have hit that reef any other part of my body, like I could have so easily been mm. dealing with what he was dealing with. And like his injuries a million times worse than, worse than mine and he's dealing with it that much better. So it was wow. like I was overcome with like gratitude, like mm. feeling lucky. And just that moment, from that moment onwards, it was like that feeling of feeling lucky about mm. my situation was like the catalyst to, to get me back on track. Everything fed on from there. Wow. And now kind of two years later after all the Rio, I figured out how to surf good enough with the disability that I can get back out into into big waves. But I think meeting him and that, mm. that shift in, in sort of mindset was the saving grace for me in dealing with that. Yeah. Mm, that's an amazing story. So tell us about the first time after this accident that you got back on the surfboard. I surfed mm. a couple of times probably a year down the track, but it was I would barely call it surfing compared mm. to what I've been doing. It was like on a long board. I could only just stand up. I could barely turn the board. And I was at that moment, I was like, it's nice to be surfing again, but this is, you know, it's nice to be out in the ocean and the water, but it's not really surfing mm. for me. It, it took about another eight months after that wow. to where I rode a wave and got my first barrel, like so inside the barreling part <laughs> of wave, not a big wave. It's a sort of eight-foot wave at, on the Gold Coast, and, and that moment was just a game-changer for me. Wow. It was like all the hard work paid off because I could surf good enough just to do that, to get barreled. It wasn't mm -hmm. big waves and get my career on track, but that was enough. I was like, if, if this is it, then that's fine. Mm. But then it, it just my surfing ability just kept getting better and better after that, just up until... About six weeks ago, I got to compete in the Red Bull Cape Fear event, a big wave surfing event, 
down in Tasmania at that first wave that I went oh, to wow. and I got my first sort of big barrel there and, and that was like the icing on the cake. That's yeah. like tick. That's two and a half years of, of wow. rehab. Like, yeah, it was, a, it was a good journey. Yeah, amazing journey. And can you speak more on your mum being a major point of motivation in your life? Yeah, she's just uh, like on two different levels, but she's always been the type of person who has that internal reflection and and thinks about who she is, what she's like, and how she can be better. She's right. always had that. Like she eventually does a lot of meditation and and mm. has lived in uh, ashrams around the world and wow. became a yoga teacher. So I think that rubbed off on me, like mm. how valuable it is to know yourself, like figure out who you are and and try and work on your flaws and, and be better, you know. So I yeah. think that rubbed off on me a lot. And then the other part is that I've just always wanted to down the track when, when she retires support her, like be able mm. to buy her a house one day is kind mm. of the image that I always use in my head before I'm about to do something scary or when I've got to get up early and go to training or when I've got to say no to eating that shit food and, and eat this boring food, like that. all those things. I've just got this clear picture of in my head of the day I get to buy her a house and I can see, see the excitement, you know, and the big smile on her face yeah. in those moments. So it's like those two two parts that she's pretty inspiring to me. Yeah, amazing. So focusing on your business now, so your brand that you've built for yourself and, I mean, you mentioned that you went around the world chasing content. So talk us through, I guess, your content strategy. You got the the footage of you surfing the big waves. What did you do next? Yeah, so it was, it was interesting because from the start of my career, it went through the whole sort of digital media revolution. Oh, really? Like the yeah. first surf trip we did was on film, you know, cameras oh, wow. and photos, and then it was just going out into mainstream newspapers and stuff. Mm. And then we just tracked through the whole evolution of digital media in, wow. in that time. So it's like having the first, one of the first blogs in surfing wow. like, that people could follow. Because in my head, it was, I had to make up for a lack of sort of, talent as a surfer by being having the business smarts and how mm. I could get the exposure and then that would make me as valuable as the other more talented surfers out there. That was kind of what I always had. So I was always looking for different mm. things of how I could do that. And the the digital media revolution was was the game changer because then it wasn't up to the print media and surf magazines who had a stranglehold kind of mm. on the industry yeah. on who was successful. It's like when you could build your own audience right. and then you could show them and you've got your own audience, you become like a small marketing agency yourself. Yeah. So by sort of having that business model, I could control my destiny a little bit more. Mm. And, it, um, yeah, I think it... It, it made that career, I could extend it longer also as well. So, yeah, there were so many. So, there are so many nuanced things within that <laughs> yeah. and how you do it, but it's the same core principles. It's like just show mm. people what I love about what I do, show them that. And, I mean, there's that many people out there on mm. social media and the digital world. There will be people that enjoy watching you do what you do that's kind of mm. was my model just stick to what you like and it's too tiring trying to be someone that you're not so mm. i could have gone down that path and like you try and do the things that people like or that the big celebrities are doing yeah 
but to me that seemed exhausting. It was just like just show what you love about surfing and then see if people like it. And it sort of comes back to your point about talking to your best friends when you're doing your keynote, you know, focusing on that one person. Exactly, Mm. yeah, and then it keeps you authentic in a way. Mm. And and what channels are you using at the moment? Have you gone headfirst into video content as well? I imagine a lot of GoPro footage and... Yeah. Uh, Is is live streaming possible, big wave surfing? It is, so... So GoPro is a major sponsor of mine. Oh. So I've, I've always worked with them. And, and I mean, that was just about me wanting to use the best cameras for yeah. what we did in action sports. I was always so interested in how can I make my audience get ex- as close as experience as possible as what I get inside the barreling part mm. of the wave. You can help them try and experience that. So the tiny point of view cameras where mm. you can give that field and then the GoPro Fusion that shoots the 360 and, oh, and wow. virtual yeah. reality type content, like that, mm. they were like, they're awesome tools to be able to do that. And then on the live streaming front, like that kind of, sh- when that shifted, when the technology, where it became possible to be able to set up these these high production live feeds at the drop of a hat, because mm. the, th- the difference in, in surfing as a sport, in big wave surfing as a sport compared to, say, live streaming a football game is what, our, what we do is all weather dependent. So I, I teamed up with Red Bull in that regard to create Red Bull Cape Fear, a big wave surf event, and it's kind of the only company that are going to set aside that kind of financial amount on the possibility that we may get big enough waves that year to run an event. Like there's no... Well, I couldn't find there was no other company out there that would just go, yeah, here's this much money, even though the event might not happen. You might only have a 50-50 chance of it happening. Yeah, so now we're able to do that in remote locations. So we could do that down in Tasmania, which is in the middle of nowhere where this wave breaks. And uh, we streamed it live to, I think the numbers ended up being about 1.5 million people across like a a live feed and and the first replay because it Mm. happens just when it happens. So people aren't sort of prepared for it. We give give them a 24-hour window because that's when we got to tick that the event's going to happen and then Mm. we send the production crews in. So yeah, that's been an interesting experience. I think that's been the the latest frontier in Mm. regard to that that digital media revolution and and the way to bring surfing and big wave surfing to people yeah that's amazing strategy what's next i mean what problems are you working on now in your business for me because i've been injured for the last couple of years my main focus was is keynote speaking and the corporate Mm. training world and sort of establishing myself within there and and really like researching what companies and their employers and and everyone needs to kind of manage that hectic paced life of that mm. corporate world like yeah. cuz there's that that sort of disconnect where companies want so much out of their employees yeah. and they want them to work ridiculous hours and and the the employees are just are getting burnt out because of that but the the world's so competitive that if you don't put up with that burnout yeah. you'll lose your job cuz someone else will put their hand up and try and take it on you mm. know so it's how can i equip those employees to to still do the workload or the the hours but not be as drained or affected by it. So Mm -hmm. so how can you take on that and not have it rule their life where it destroys their sort of relationships and their personal life? And if if you can, I think that's like at the moment within the corporate world, the the sort of holy grail of of figuring that, Mm -hmm. that sort of complex web of 
it's meaning for the employees to want to take on all the stress. Like mm. they have to find that meaning and the company has to align with them to be able to do that. Mm. And then the, the, the physical aspect of being able to cope with the crazy work hours. So there's mm. that physical element that sort of, whether it's diet, exercise, sleep, those parts and then the the relationship aspect of like their work relationships and their personal relationships because i mean that emotional side and that relationship side is the other big part of taxing you mm. as a human so it's like it's a complex way but i love it like to me human performance on any level is amazing mm. i, I kind of originally loved the freak performers who were the world champions <laughs> at, at, at a given sport and how yeah. they did what they did. But mm-hmm. the more you dive into that, it's like one, usually those best of the best at something, they're freakishly genetically talented, yeah. which isn't that interesting to mm-hmm. me. And then if they're not really good at one thing and really good at something completely different, yeah. then it's kind of like the tools they're using to be good at one thing might not be transferable to anyone else. Right. You know? Like but when you see people that can go and be at the highest level in one aspect of life and another aspect of life and another aspect of life, it's like whatever's mm-hmm. working there is then transferable. You know, and that's what I tried to find with surfing. It's like I can conquer fear in the world of surfing, but do those same techniques and rules apply to public speaking mm. or to developing business or to just all these other aspects of life? So I've just yeah. been testing them and I'm slowly coming up and still tweaking different programs mm. and workshops for corporates. So yeah. I deliver a keynote, which is more on the inspirational side, and then a, a more detailed workshop where I can get sort of, if I can get anywhere from three to six hours with an audience, then you can sort of deep dive into it and, and make more lasting changes with people mm. than, than a keynote can. And can you tell us any stories of the changes in culture and the results that you've seen in some of these companies? Yeah, to me, the the interesting ones or the radical ones are usually the like the the stress reduction ones right. are huge, and and where you dive into the stress programs. But then, like, so if that's the mindset of programs that you're doing, but then the offshoots of managing stress and creating resilience is like say a workshop around how to have tough conversations mm. in an organization because that to me is probably one of the main relationship emotional factors that drain people in companies yeah. because there's like animosity being carried around by employees because they're not speaking up and they can't have a tough conversation yeah. with their boss or with their peers without rubbing people the wrong way mm. and then they just live in this world of constant sort of stress and social pressure yeah the conflict so, avoidance yeah. yeah so we built a company called pragmatic thinking that i work closely with right they've got the best like tough conversation okay. program or workshop that i've seen so right. it's kind of i can do a keynote mm. have all this stress reduction stuff and bring them in we'll do a tough conversations piece there so it's right. and then you see radical shifts in mm. in because it's just like the, the small number of skills like mm. if you can if you can criticize someone without tearing their whole ego apart <laughs> It's it's a there's an amazing rattle on effect from that because you can then give criticism without destroying someone, you know, mm. and then that just plays out. And once a whole number of people in your team can do that, the culture change in a year's time and the progression as far as the way the team works shifts mm. 
hugely. So speaking of tools now, I like to ask all the guests that come on, you know, what sort of marketing tools they use for their business. So what's been the best investment that you've made tool marketing wise? wise. Yeah, marketing wise. Outsourcing with Upwork for me mm. as a as a sort of like having a really small business is yeah. is amazing. Mm. Like the talent of people out there around the world that you can access at the drop of a hat is phenomenal. So probably that as an outsourcing tool. Probably shouldn't say this, but I had a LinkedIn helper tool that, that was yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it might have just got shut down recently, so yeah. I have to go back to the old way of, of running LinkedIn. But, yeah, any of those tools that can caught up. Automate things that you do but automate them in a way that it doesn't seem like things are being automated, then mm. it's then it's super valuable. Yeah. And are you a big reader, Mark? More listen. I like yeah. podcasts. I do. I like to read, but I'm. I, I just recently did an IQ test, and my my like language comprehension skills are so <laughs> low. It's like ridiculous. So reading for me is just is time consuming. Whereas I can. I like. I love to listen to different podcasts, and especially when you can get two experts debating on something. I find that the mm. most valuable way to learn. So more of the long form podcasts. Definitely long form mm. podcasts or or lecture series that. A lot of um, like universities and professors out there put their lecture courses online, like on mm. YouTube, so you can kind of access almost anything these days. Yeah. And, and there's amazing learning platforms like like Masterclass and yeah. and a whole bunch of other ones. It's like this to read is is amazing if you're a good reader because it's really good for your imagination as well. But but to just be able to have like the highest end quality. YouTube learning video or masterclass platform or whatever like that that can just teach you through five different mediums at once. For me, yeah. that's way more beneficial. Yeah, yeah. I was on masterclass yesterday. Actually, some amazing courses. Amazing on stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think I did um, one of the value ones. I did Steve Martin's comedy one. Oh, wow. just for public yeah. speaking. Mm. And and when you see the way they break apart jokes and telling jokes, mm. you can then learn to refine the way you would deliver a keynote because. Mm. The emphasis on how much I heard Jerry Seinfeld say this too. He can spend a week on one line, yeah. writing and rewriting, writing <laughs> one line, like and yeah. and pausing in different places, and it can make or break a joke. So mm. as a keynote speaker, if you can dive into that level of detail on on what you deliver, it's um it's interesting. But you just gotta be bothered to give it the time. Yeah. yeah. And I know Seinfeld has another statistic. I think it's one week for every one minute of content. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, how long does it take you to do one, one minute of, a, of one of your keynote presentations preparation-wise? It would depend, but, uh, yeah, it would be in that realm. But mm. I find, like, for me, the preparation and learning is is every time I deliver a keynote, then watching it and then restructuring some some part of it. Yeah, it would be in that realm, wow. I reckon. Probably less. I think comedians is so much harder than I think any other form of entertainment. We have to get a laugh every 15 seconds, yeah. I think it is. I think that's the hardest mm. version of, of entertainment there is. So like yeah. their reworking of a minute mm. compared to what I do at Kina because I can tell a story mm. and, and there's five or ten minutes of content and I don't have to spend, you know, that much time yeah. to get that story out. But it does make a difference when you, mm. you get some detail in there and uh, do some work on the delivery. 
So, Mark, wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Wide-ranging conversation, so many inspiring stories and tactics as well. But before we go, we like to ask our guests two abstract questions. So are you ready for the abstract part of the show? Yeah, my my dumb brain's trying to figure out what abstract means. That's my language problem in the IQ world. But yeah, far away. So the first question, if you could have a billboard, it can be anywhere in the world, what would it say and where would you put it? Mm, What would it say? Oh, man, I had this quote I read on the plane this morning. It's, It's something like, it was high performance mm. is more like a cobweb than it is an organizational chart. I think it's something like right. that. It's like high performance. Yeah. And it's just like that complex adaptive systems theory mm. where everything affects everything. Mm. And, and it's the same way companies run, it's the same way your physiology and your body runs, but it's mm. more so intertwined that if you leave out one aspect of performance, then all the others suffer. But if you take an entire systems approach to fixing performance, regardless of what it is, then you get crazy results. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So cobweb verse, I think it was organizational chart or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> It'd be a long-winded billboard, that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the final question, you were on the first flight to Mars with Elon Musk and the first settlers aboard the SpaceX Starship rocket. So what business do you start when you land on Mars and how do you promote it to the new Martians? It would have to be indoor wave pools, <laughs> I think. Uh, and the first time, and, and and surfing se- sells itself. It's like mm. all you got to do is offer a few pre-surf lessons, and yeah. when people experience that feeling, what else is there going to be to do on Mars <laughs> than, than ride a few waves? So no. it'll sell itself. Definitely. So, Mark, once again, really appreciate your time today and the value you've dropped to the audience. Is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap up and how can people get in touch? Thanks for having me first and thanks to the listeners for listening. If anyone wants to get in contact with me, my website is www.markmatthews.com and Matthews with one T. One T. Yeah. So, or on LinkedIn or social media is at Mark Matthews Surf. So feel free to reach out and I'd love to work with your company and figure out this whole complex cobweb of performance, stress, energy, all of that stuff. Yeah, amazing. We'll put all the links and resources Mark has mentioned in the show notes. And Mark, thanks for such a fantastic conversation. And I'll also put up some of your big wave surfing photos in the show notes because they're absolutely mind-blowing and hard to describe on air. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, when people look at that, they'll Mm. be like, No, we're not listening to this crazy person. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an awesome mission that you're out on changing many people's lives. I want to thank you for that and thank you for coming in today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. From Medigy, you've just listened to Forward Thinking. Again, I'm Darren and Medigy hopes we helped you find more insights and tips into your business. To find out more about Medigy and get a listener-exclusive three-month free trial, visit us at metagy.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, go and check out some more episodes. If you like what you heard, please share a link to another business owner or marketer who you think could get something from this. Also, to help us out, it would be great if you left a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Last, never miss another episode by following or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast player. See you on the next episode.